Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. Quickly, we only find third rail trains in high-speed trains. 
it, because it allows us to perform efficiently and safely. Isn't it interesting that often we find things that are effective in making us more stable and balanced, and yet are considered to be so dangerous that nobody wants to touch them? In many ways, the third way we are engaging can be equally dangerous, yet provide us the balance and stability needed to be more effective. There are many examples of a third way in the scriptures, especially found in the life of Jesus. You can even look at it in the model of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and see that God's nature pushes against a two-way or dualistic worldview. But this is not a popular way to approach things in today's world. You see, we live in a polarized world of truths. And while I don't believe that a world, uh, excuse me, I don't believe that the world is more polarized than it was 300 years ago in the world, I do believe that there are more people alive today and thusly pushing harder into the expansive two-way model. The world is a little more polarized than it was when we had The world is a little more polarized. Do you realize that it was not uncommon for actually in the Senate, in the early years of our country, the first five presidents of this country, that there would be pushbacks in the Senate room? In fact, when I went and visited the Senate room in Washington, D.C., they actually had a place that you're not allowed to sit in the original Senate room because there was a man that was beaten to death with a cane while there to vote. So, here's the first tip. Don't pay attention to the news that says it's worse than it's ever been. Just said that out loud. Unless, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that it gets pretty rough out there, but I, I don't remember seeing our two senators that are running right now for re-election trying to beat one another to death during the last town hall meeting. So, just remember that. I do believe that this model is something that is becoming increasingly challenging because it has pervaded other parts of our lives. There is much to be said about this, that a few kids, and maybe two specifically, are, uh, are the, uh, the dualistic approach to politics, Republican and Democrat. And as you drill down into this, it only gets worse, not better. You are pro-choice or pro-life. You are for capital punishment or against it. You are for gay rights or against gay rights. Preachers and politicians regularly tell us that we have to choose between building a wall and open borders where anyone and everybody can come flooding into our country. Dualistic worldview. It's this or it's that. There's no middle road. It's either we build a wall or we invite ISIS with like one of those e-card invitations from Hallmark. There's nothing in the middle. You are blue-collar or white-collar worker. You are pro-Second Amendment, or you want guns to be taken from everybody. You are hard-working and an American, or you're a socialist freeloader. You are Black Lives Matter, or you're Police Lives Matter. In the church, you're a believer or an unbeliever. You are a Pentecostal, or you're not. You are full gospel, or you're not. You're sprinkled or submerged traditional service or contemporary. You see, we live in a world of dualism. And while the dualistic view helped you get here today, you had to determine between turning right or left. You had to determine between putting your car in drive or reverse. You had to determine between wearing a coat or a short-sleeved shirt. The problem is it can become very damaging. Recently, we started looking at another approach to this journey of walking with Jesus. Not one bound by one, uh, excuse me, not one bound by an either or methodology, but one that says we can embrace mystery and understanding. One that says we can have a burden for the poor and for the elite. One that says we can learn as much from suffering and challenge as we do from overcoming and victory. I'm going to say that again. A worldview, a Jesus-journey view that says we have as much to learn from suffering and 
this is the way of the kingdom of God. But I have to tell you, this is not going to be popular with some people. They had talking pastors who read their stories without fail. Every time they shared this decision, it had the high price tag for the church. As human beings, we want absolutes. We want to know whose side we're on and who the other is. Maybe we don't use words like enemy, but ultimately we feel that in order to have a cause, there must be an other. How can I know that I'm on the side of right if there's not another side I get to call wrong? And we'll talk about this later, but every pastor has agreed that the hardest thing for the church to do has been to unplug from the religious and political systems. Surprisingly, most say that the political system is actually the more difficult for the church to let go of. I think there are several reasons for this, but I believe one of them would be because it's easier to define our religious politics. Unplugging from the religious system means allowing God to do whatever He wants, and most people at least say that they want to. Right? If we were to tell people, are you willing to unplug from religion and allow God to do whatever he wants? Most people are kind of okay with that. They're going to at least say yes. I don't care if they're charismatic or Catholic. They're going to say yes. Most people are going to say, yeah, I'm good with that. But when you say unplug from politics, and more importantly, religious politics, that's hard. Why? Because it's personal. Are you willing to be change from being anti-abortion to actually becoming pro-life. Actually being pro-life means every life has a value. That means if they're Muslim, their life has a value. That means if they're atheist, their life has a value. That means if they're a Mexican illegal immigrant, their life has a value. That's harder. These are defined statements in our country and much harder to move from. I recently read about a pastor that lost 10% of his membership to his church when Obama won the election because people said they couldn't go to church with others that voted for a socialist Muslim. He also lost 10% of his church when Trump won because people said they couldn't go to church with people who voted for a womanizing demagogue. You see the problem. They actually said, I can't think that I'm sitting in the same pew as somebody that voted for a Kenyan-born socialist. So they left his church. But then people further down the pew, when Trump won, said, I can't think that I'm sitting in the, in the same church as somebody who said things like this guy said on the uh, Access Hollywood tape or things that he said maybe he hasn't said, whatever. They left the church because of it, because they couldn't be part of a community where they thought others could have supported them. So if we don't think politics play a role in our churches, we're just not we're just absolutely not. Jesus calls for another way, a way that lives in attachments and detachments. A way that lives in attachments and detachments. Detachments from the egocentric way of control and fear and an attachment to the way of love that will undoubtedly bring fear and cause us to lose control. Let me say that again so that that can make sense. A way that is both attachment and detachment. Detachment from the egocentric way of control and fear. But an attachment to the love that will undoubtedly bring fear as it causes us to lose control. You can't attach yourself to the life of love and not think that you're going to face fear. But you cannot stay attached to fear. I heard a guy say one time that fear and anxiety, he goes, the way I look at it in the journey of my life is fearing, fear and anxiety are getting in the car with me and going down the highway. But they don't get to drive and it doesn't get to kick the radio station. I can't keep it from being in the car because fear is part of my journey. 
Fear is part of what I'm going to face. The Bible never says that you are stupid and have lots of love to face. It doesn't have to work. What it says is that perfect love casts it out. So I'm not saying it can't get in the car with you. Just make sure it's sitting in the back seat and it's not dictating what you're actually picking up on the radio. That's the way of love. And so attachment in detachment. A third way that knows the need for solitude and contemplation, yet embraces community and engagement. That fights off the desire to isolate when in pain and knows the need for a healthy introspection and meditation in the Word. That fights off the need to isolate when we're in pain, yet also knows the need for healthy contemplation and meditation on what we need to do. That's the way of attachment in detachment. Detach from your ego and attachment to love at all costs. This is the middle road between fight or flight. How many people have heard where either one or the other, where it's either fight or flight? This is the middle of the road. This is the other way. Those are not fight or flight. It's not either or. It's knowing how to do what we're supposed to do in this moment. It is the way that fits violently bringing the kingdom of God and yet being the blessed peacemaker that is called the children of God. This is the third way of Jesus. Most believers approach to Jesus as one of two things. Number one, they see Jesus that died for their sins only. This allows us to access him. It's been useful in this life as we've read Jesus. That's why I'm saying it's useful in this moment too. But I call this approach the sin management Jesus. Sin management Jesus means Jesus is only utilized in this current life for the washing of your sins. So sin management Jesus says, I need his blood so that I can be clean. Actually, I read somebody uh, that was writing about this, and they said that most Christians are there uh, to be likened to vampires because they only eat Jesus for his blood. It's kind of an interesting idea. But it's true that in many ways, most believers in this life feel like the only real use for Jesus is him cleansing me from sin. This Jesus allows, this view of Jesus will allow you to worship him because he cleanses you, but never follow him because he leaves you. Sin management Jesus is not about discipleship. Sin management Jesus is about holiness. Sin management Jesus absolves you of your sins and never leads you into life and life in Or they see him as the liaison to the Father. God was mad and demanded blood. Jesus said, I'll take the beating for them. Or the more moderate version, Jesus was the friend that introduces two people he thinks would be really great together. He looks at the Father and says, you've got to meet my friend mankind. You guys have so much in common, including your image. Let me introduce the two of you. Get you two together in a relationship together. I call this the Jesus as the secretary of after life's concerns. How to get you into heaven. I had a conversation on Thursday that was very moving. They shared with me a conversation that this person had with a friend. And this person was sharing this with, uh, with me. Um, they had shared on Facebook a, a, a post or a, a advertisement or something that what it was was a box that somebody had put in front of their house or their business or their church or whatever it might have been and had a flyover um, inviting people to give hand goods or take hand goods as they needed so they could either give something if they if they had excess or pay cash if they were in need and they shared this Facebook uh, Facebook post about how incredibly effective that had been They shared how awesome it had been that they had um, 
see such great results. It allowed um, uh, you to anonymously come and take something that you were in need, and it allowed people to give things. Let's say you just came to the grocery and had green beans on sale, and you could buy five and get one for free, and you could drop off some, and you give as you needed. And nobody knew if you were coming to church or to give, so it was somebody that, and you didn't have to come ask anybody. So it's, it was done anonymously. And they shared it on their Facebook page, and, um, and immediately got a very vitriolic response. They had a friend that reached out and attacked them and attacked the idea. Uh, let, me, let me be clear. There is no doubt that when you do things like this, people are going to abuse it. That's just part of it. But we don't stop doing good things because bad people abuse it. But the person attacked him and said that this idea was exactly what was wrong with the world today. You see, this person is a strong Christian, very outspoken about her belief in God. In fact, she's a leader in the church. And what she said was that during prayer recently, God told her that the most important scripture from this hour is if you don't work, you don't eat. This socialist gospel was destroying the moral and religious fabric of our country today. They said it was sinful, cut and dry. You're on one side or the other. You're on God's side, the side of God's kingdom, or you're on the side of Satan's kingdom. You stand with the Christian values of conservatism, family values, work ethics, or you stand with liberalism and lose the family values and, and you have these other things that look at Christian values and it mocks us and it laughs at the biblical model of what we're supposed to be. It's something that flaunts secularism in the face of godliness, that worries more about political correctness over, uh, uh, as opposed to speaking truth. And it believes everybody should get a free ride. Responsibility and victimhood. Hard work and entitlement. This is the poster child argument of communism. Military and social spending. Which one do you want? You can't have both. Capitalism and socialism. This is the culture we're obsessed with. You find these lines drawn daily on the news with two talking heads yelling at one another, trying to drive home their point with an explanation. The louder they talk, the more they yell, the better their point is. Well, the, the newscaster sits in the middle, and you've got one person, and he just lets it yell for a good five or ten minutes. You find this on Twitter, where we can give a definitive answer in 140 characters. You find this in the oversimplification of Facebook stories and news sound bites of easy answers to difficult and nuanced questions. This type of either or dualistic binary thinking is something I believe personally tragically underestimates the complexities of many of these matters. It tragically underestimates the complexities of humanity, of people's lives, and ultimately of the love-drenched nature of God that is holding the whole world together. It neglects to mention that when we damn one another, we aren't just damning one another. We're damning the image of God that unites us. We could actually say we're damning ourselves. To reduce these conversations to the comment section on a Facebook post or a Twitter post replete with character jabs and digs is dangerous at the core. You see, Paul said, it is the responsibility of those who are free to engender freedom. I would venture to say I can judge how free you are by how many you free. The method or the measurement of your freedom is not defined in your lifestyle, but in the freedom you bring to others. The approach that you have, your job, free people, free people. That's it. Loved people, love people. 
peaceful people bring peace wherever they go. And I don't care if you love Jesus with all of your heart. If you don't love people, there's an issue. I don't care if you feel like God gave you grace and salvation freely. If you haven't given grace and salvation freely to somebody else, especially somebody who's not like you, I question how freely you operate in that grace and forgiveness. It does indicate the need for society to have contributing citizens. Jesus also said that it's the responsibility of those that have two coats to give one away. And James takes this to the further degree by saying true religion is found in caring for the widows and the orphans. Throughout history, we find that evil is the root of this divisive work. Please hear me. I'm not indicating that one side or another is complicit with evil. But evil is the root, no doubt. It is at the root of a division, of, excuse me, a divisive whisper that desires to keep us apart and separate us behind walls of fear, walls of opposition, walls of isolation, and separate us so far that it can keep us from seeing one another's fears and hearing one another's laughter. Because when it has done that, it has complicated Because once this evil has separated to the degree that it no longer allows you to hear the person's pain, to see their tears, to see their laughter, to see what makes them a person, it yields our greatest ignorance, which is on the other side of an issue. There are people created in His image. As soon as we start seeing the people who are the victims of injustice as being people who are just trying to get anything they can for nothing, a something for nothing victimhood mentality. We miss the fact that there's a story there. And as soon as we see the oppressor of injustice as only a person who is ungodly and evil, we miss the fact that they were created in his image as well. How do you find the six million Jews and the Nazi party both created in his image. That's the Jesus of the Bible. You see, until we see the goat and the sheep and treat them accordingly, we become the goats. In fact, I would suggest to you that the way we treat the other is what indicates whether we're a sheep or a goat. As soon as you start treating the goat as another, you stop becoming a sheep and become a goat. That's what Jesus said. And so when you see this, the life of Jesus clearly indicates this truth. His life was consistent in disengaging from the systems of his day, which are really not different from those of today. Jesus was just born into a world of zealots and extremists. Born into a world polarized by nationalism of the Jewish people, imperialism of the Romans, and the civil religion of the Pharisees. He was born into a Roman world that just knew if the rest of the barbarian world would just listen to us, all would be well. The Romans said that they were the fulcrum of civilization. If the world would just listen to us, submit to our way, justice and peace would follow with all of the other nations. Is that kind of really what you want? Clearly it's not what Jesus said. He was born into a world of Jewish extremists that just knew if people would repent and return to the Bible, yes, the Bible, all would be well. Jesus was born into a day of Jewish extremism that said if people would just repent and turn back to the Bible, everything would be fixed. Because at that day, they didn't call it the Old Testament. They called it Bible. It was the only one they had. It was the measurement for who was God and who wasn't. So if everybody would just repent and turn back to this, 
spiritual world surrounded by his own people who were convinced that if he would just get back to the word, get back to the Torah, God's kingdom would come. He was born into a world where both sides were willing to kill on behalf of their truth. He was the only one willing to die on behalf of their truth. You see, both sides ardently and adamantly tried to enlist Jesus for their cause. Both during his life and after his death. Both sides made their appeal. They called Hosanna when he rode into Jerusalem. The Romans tried to evict him as the bridge to the Jewish people. If we could just get Jesus on our side, all these people will now be okay with us. Maybe they'll stop trying to overthrow us as the occupying Romans. And while a cursory glance might indicate that the way of Jesus was found in the tension between two poles, a deeper glance will clarify that often his way wasn't found between two poles, but completely outside of them. He didn't occupy the middle of the road between Romanism and nationalism. He actually just went above them, beneath them, outside of them, around them, in any other way he could. His way was only there. This is why Jesus spoke so clearly that we must not allow the leaven of Caesar or the leaven of the Pharisees, the, the leaven of Rome, which is the sin pattern, or the leaven of Pharisees, religion, to have a place in us. We know what leaven does. It begins to work as bacteria, like other bacteria-like organisms, and grow to the point that it elevates everything it touches. Paul references this in Corinthians, and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you should be careful that you don't have any nationalistic, civil religion leaven in you, because it will affect how you do everything else. Be careful that you don't have any religious, traditional leaven in you, because you will have too much. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. For this reason, in a highly politicized world, in a world embroiled with culture wars, Jesus said that he came to kill a new kind of leaven. One that would not come through the powerful Rome or the holy Jerusalem. I'll say that again. A world, a kingdom that was to come, that was not going to come through the powerful Rome or America or the holy Jerusalem, the holy church. the way God's going to bring a kingdom is by Israel taking over the Middle East and America taking over the world. And the reality of it is Jesus taught in the synagogue. In the end, we are still left arguing for who's responsible for the death of Jesus because he was condemned by both systems for his unwillingness to bow his knee to them, his unwillingness to lend his hand and his power and and yes, even his pulpit to these kingdoms. Because he knew you couldn't serve two masters. You cannot come to bring the kingdom of heaven and focus on the kingdom of Israel. You cannot come to bring the kingdom of heaven and focus on the kingdom of Israel. The reality is that no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down. He gave his life as the last scapegoat the final sacrifice to show us that you can violently, excuse me, the final sacrifice to show us that you can violently wage war against your cause or you can peacefully lay down your life for only one deal to bring souls to harvest. As seed in the ground, Jesus gave his life to show us what real life looked like. And at that moment, what would have happened if Jesus had a group or a tribe, a political base, or a, a denomination that could have made his case for him. You see, you realize that what kept Jesus from being saved was that everybody yelled crucify. What would have happened if Jesus had a political base that was working in his favor? What if Jesus had a denomination that could Take the bait. 
he would speak to them and communicate to them about forgiving and wiping out the curse, reminding them that he didn't want them to forget. And just about the time they were brought low, he would speak to them in a gentle voice of love and say, but hear me, the kingdom of God is near Christianity as a religion of don't, but what you really find when you look at the message of Jesus from the message of God throughout the entirety of Scripture, the most common message is don't be afraid. That is the most common message going through the entire Bible. Don't be afraid. So what Jesus said is, you want to look like somebody that lives my message. It's not don't drink. It's not don't touch. It's not don't smoke. It's not don't whatever else, don't do something else. I'm not saying that those things are good because you're just a human, but the most common message is don't That's the litmus test. He said to the centurion and the rabbi, to the prostitutes and the tax collectors, let go and don't be afraid. Let go of your conspiracy theories and your paranoia and your sky is falling scarcity mentality that is just sure that this is the generation that the world is going to come crashing down on us to find that there is another way. This, these people that say they're just sure that this must be the last days because it can't get any worse. cynicism, let go of your condemnation, see the image of God in all that he has made, move close enough to listen to see the real fears that others are trying, move close enough to understand that in many cases our enemy is just someone whose story we haven't heard yet. enough to touch and to be touched, and yes, as in the case of our Lord Jesus, move close enough to even offer your life if need be, showing that there's a better way. Because as soon as you move close enough to be touched, you move close enough to be forgiven. Because he's opposed the current administration vocally, and people have turned against John McCain, so they came up with this concoction of a conspiracy theory where he dies so that everybody will, in um, in his memory, honor him. This is disgusting. This is absolutely egregious, and it is downright evil for Christians to be proliferating provocating some type of nasty assault on people who gave their life so freely for this country in the family that's grieving their lost father, brother, husband, uncle, or friend. 
of incivility that is so easily made in Facebook shorts, in comments, in 140-character soundbite-type culture is dangerous. And we as adults have to model something better for our kids. And we as young ones have to model something better for each other. This is not the Jesus Facebook posts and tweets that cut at the core of other human beings who are quickly unprocessed on the same journey as you and I are. If you must share your opinion on a topic that is sensitive to all, if, if you can bear with me, I'm not going to, this is my opinion. Okay, not that I have, I'm not a historian, I'm not an ethicist, and I, I'm not a politician, but I'm going to do my best to give you my idea of maybe how we can if you must share your opinion on a topic that is sensitive to others in the way that it directly affects them, listen first, listen second, and listen third. And then if you still have something to say, make sure that every word is measured and drenched in grace and love. If you're not part of that minority, listen to that minority's before you seek to make throne of the majority. If you're not part of that victim's group, listen before you seek to make peace that can quickly turn into the seat of oppression. We have to make sure that we hear But it will be restored and move forward by thoughtful, courageous, honest, gracious, loving, hopeful, and informed conversations. I'm not saying avoid conversations. What I'm saying is recognize that if you approach conversation to argue a side, you've already missed the point on the facing some of the most difficult conversations we've ever faced as a culture. We're facing conversations about homosexuality. We're facing conversations about immigration. We're facing conversations about race and injustice and privilege and misogyny. And I just mentioned things that we're facing inside the church. I haven't even mentioned stuff going on outside the church. This week alone, I read about because of some type of sexual misconduct in their church. We are facing issues that as soon as we approach them from the platform of oppression, we've wrong side and we've missed it. And I promise you, our religious systems are coming crashing down because they're being shaken to the foundation because of this binary approach. The world, starting with the church, is being shaken. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Peter recognized it. That the world is going to be shaken. We've got to come to this today. Conversations that begin from a stance of compassion over pride, that carry with them an awareness that we might not be able to understand someone else's what it would be like to 
to have arrived in this town floating on a veil to have found Christ. You don't have to understand somebody that hasn't been able to hold a job in the last 20 years to have baptism to have received Christ. You don't have to understand somebody in the way that you can experience what it might be like to live in a community where you drive into the grocery community pulled over, handcuffed and put in the back of a police car just for being a certain color on a sunny day to have found a person. And when we come at these conversations with this way, you are predisposed as an advantage where you may not, if you address, if you become aware that you don't relate to that, it probably means because you have an advantage. What I had to realize really quickly is I don't understand what refugees feel like. So we have to start from the point that I have tenants that provide me some kind of protection out of faith. And if I don't recognize that I'm speaking from that place where I've not had to face the full scope, carefully think first, what does his kingdom look like in that generation? If you think it looks like um, self-inflicting pain at other people over compassion, if it looks like you winning an argument over that person experiencing a grace-filled, life-giving message of good news, then we've already missed it. Because good news that isn't good news for everyone is not good news for anyone. Good news that doesn't give life to all doesn't give life at all. And I promise you, that always looks like inclusion of all, restoration of what has been lost, healing to what has been broken, and a loving Savior that in the Last Supper is found washing the disciples' feet, not simply because of who they were, but because of who he was. So if you'll look with me, could have used lots and lots and lots of passages to illustrate this. But I'd like to look with you at John chapter 16, the Last Supper. And we're going to look at the Jesus way. that the night before Passover would be a fast on earth before leaving the world to return to his father's house. Although all, excuse me, all throughout his time with the disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them, and he now longed to show them the full measure of his love. Before the evening meal began, the accuser had already entered the betrayer into the heart of Jesus. Good news. Look at verse 3 jesus became fully aware that the father had given him all things and placed all things under his control and that he had come from god and was about to go back to be with him he got up from the meal took off his robe took a towel wrapped it around his bundled waist then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples dirty feet the Lord to do this. The Bible says, and I looked into six translations trying to find a difference, trying to find a glaring distinction, and they just weren't found. In six different translations, it says the same thing, that the thing that prompted Jesus to wash his feet was him becoming fully aware of his identity. Jesus 
having become fully aware that God had given him everything and put all things in
that's what we get to live in. But as soon as we don't live with the recognition that it's been our responsibility to give and to empower everybody else with that identity that has disempowered us, we've missed the point of our identity. This is the third rule of Jesus. You see, what will happen is the world system, the empire system, the nationalistic civil religion system will tell you that the more power you get, the more you can wield your pulpit for that power because it yields them more power. And usually greed and ego are at the center of it. And this church system says that it's just all about protecting the boundaries of what you believe, protecting your list of do's and don'ts, protecting, keeping those out and these in, protecting my group and making my Because your love is the perfect thing, the third and the last love, and, and, and you know, yeah, well, it, it may not have been love because it didn't love not me. You know what? Not because they need it, you need it. And Jesus actually said, You as disciples will not understand everything that we've done together. The last three years will be. They have laid hands on people and seen them delivered. They have seen people who are blind. Excuse me. They haven't just seen it. They've done it. They have laid hands on people who were healed. Now, and Jesus says, all of that means nothing if you don't get this. And one of the things that I have to be so fascinated by is that at the garment of Gethsemane, So as we close this out in music today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this the last time. Let's get back to a little bit of music here. Uh, we're going to take communion as we leave. Because there is an empowerment track. Um, Bev and I were talking after church, and Lori was telling us that she thinks that he was going to be imparting to us during this communion track. Lord, inspire me to write. Thank you for taking communion at every service for the last
Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.